as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our reaction to sin is very clear and very obvious. We ought, as those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought, by the grace of God, to resist sin, to be found far from it, to stand away from it, to avoid it in the strength of the Lord. And dear believer, sin is something that we cannot treat lightly, something that we cannot take for granted. We must resist sin. Thomas Manton the Puritan said that sin reigns where it is not resisted. And in your life, if you are not desirous to stand against sin, and by the grace of God, examine yourself and examine your life and your actions and those actions that are sinful, if you're not prepared to do that, and you do not do that, and you do not take God's Word seriously in fleeing sin and living unto Christ, then sin will reign within your life. And the 52nd Psalm that we have read this morning shows us the sinful actions of a man called Doeg. We see him in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and chapter 22. For the sake of time, we won't turn to those portions. But in the context that we have in this Psalm, we find this man, Doeg, betraying the priests to King Saul, and 85 of them were killed. And David, therefore, in this psalm, is criticizing the sinfulness and the wickedness of man, and in particular in the context of what this man, Doeg, did. He is bringing out his sin and showing us the wickedness that was within his heart. And the wickedness that was within the, man of this, within the heart of this man is the same wickedness that is within us all. Sin is within us. We are born in sin and shaped in iniquity, the psalmist said. The psalmist in Psalm 4 said, O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing Selah? Isaiah the prophet said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Here is a man in this psalm who sinned against God whose tongue devised mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. A man who, in verse 3, we read, Thou lovest evil more than good. This is a picture not only of this man Doig, but a picture of sinful man in this world and a picture of those who love and engage in their sin. And we may view sin as a trivial thing, something that is light or something that is not serious, but yet the Word of God says otherwise. You may not be engaging in the same sins as Saul and Doeg, but in the eyes of a holy and righteous God, your sin is serious. And that is something that you ought to remember. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the hymn writer said. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only answer to sin the only one who can redeem us from our sins. David here in this psalm speaks about this wickedness. Verse 7, Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. 
Here's a man, his strength is not in God. He trusts in himself and in his wickedness. And instead of turning to Christ, instead of looking to God, he strengthens himself in his wickedness. But David is the opposite to this man. And in verse 8, we have our text. David says in response to setting forth this sin, but I, I'm different. I'm not like this man. Why is that? Because David is a better person? Because David is thinking more highly of himself here? No, he says, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. And he sees this difference. He is not like this because of Christ, because of his God. He is a green olive tree. He's something that is vibrant and fruitful, all because of God's mercy. And you may say, why is David saying that he is like a green olive tree? Surely maybe an apple tree or an orange tree is better than an olive tree. I remember 20 years ago being on a nightreach team to a small free Presbyterian church in the south of England. We were sent, some of us from various churches, to conduct outreach in the local area, visit homes, have open-air gospel meetings. And there are two things that stand out to me from that particular trip. Firstly, the boys stayed in a basement suite. The ceiling was low, and my head brushed against the ceiling as I walked. And that meant that the door frame and the light fixtures and the smoke alarm came below the ceiling. And so I think that week I had constant concussion. Uh, there was one occasion uh, we were having a bit of fellowship, a bit of fun, and I remember jumping up off the floor very, very quickly, hitting this big, thick glass uh, lamp cover or light cover and falling down on the ground as quick as I got up and with a very sore head. And that's one of the things we remember from that trip. But secondly, we went into the town one day, into the market, and there one of the ministers bought some olives for us to try. I never tasted olives before in the sense of the olive itself. In the United Kingdom, uh, there's a buttery spread that is made with olive oil. There's olive oil itself. Uh, but I'd never actually tasted an olive. And I'd, out of all the young people, I think I was the only one who had a second olive. Uh, I quite enjoyed them. And nowadays, when I go and get a sub somewhere, a sandwich, they have olives. I always go for the olives. I enjoy them, but not everyone likes an olive. And you may think, why is David here saying he's like a green olive tree? Because olives, maybe to some of us, are disgusting. We don't want, we might use olive oil, but we're not going to sit and uh, eat a bowl of olives. That's maybe something we have never done. It's not necessarily a tree that we understand today in this country. And so why should we be like a green olive tree? Well, we need to think of the culture in Israel. The olive tree is seen to be an important tree and symbol within Scripture. It is mentioned when the dove from the ark brought back an olive branch to Noah. Uh, the olive was an essential source of food. They were a source of oil for lamps. It was used as medicine. It was used as an anointing oil. And it was a symbol of peace since the flood of Noah's day. 
The tree itself was slow growing. It required much patient labor in order to reach its full fruitfulness. And so it was a symbol then of abundance and fruitfulness. And when we think of that, just summarizing all of these things, it is a metaphor here for those who are godly and those who are righteous. When David wrote these words, those in the land of Israel understood what he was getting at. They understood his point. The olive tree is beneficial to society. The olive tree is something that is wonderful in its fruitfulness. It's something that required that patient labor and was very useful in many applications. And David is saying, because of God's grace and because of God's mercy, I am not like this sinful and wicked man, but because of God, because of His mercy, I am like the olive tree. I am like the olive tree. There are similar comparisons made in Scripture. In Hosea 14, verse 6, we read, His branches shall spread, and His beauty shall be as the olive tree, and His smell as Lebanon. His branches shall spread, and His beauty shall be as the olive tree. In Psalm 128, verse 3, the psalmist said, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Again, there's beauty here. There's fruitfulness. There's abundance. So although our culture here is likely based more upon maple syrup than olives, we may certainly prefer the sweet maple syrup to the olive. And we need to understand that in the context that David is speaking in, the olive tree and its fruit was an important part of the Old Testament world and the record of God seen in the Scriptures, and therefore its spiritual comparisons, the metaphor we have here is something that applies to you and to I today. There is much here in this psalm and much in this comparison that we can learn from. And I want to ask the simple question as we come to consider this verse. Are you a green olive tree? Are you a green olive tree? It might be a strange statement, but perhaps in the context we have here, it's not a strange statement. David says, I am like a green olive tree because of God, because of Christ, because of His mercy. And the question goes to you today, are you like a green olive tree because of Christ, because of the Lord and His mercy? And I want you to consider three things we see in this verse regarding this olive tree. I want you to see, firstly, the, the rooted olive tree. The rooted olive tree. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. As we come to consider the rooted olive tree, I want you to notice again verse 5. Here David says, God shall likewise destroy thee forever, the sinful man, he shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living Selah. And that word Selah means a pause, to think upon that. This is an important statement. And we are to think upon what God is doing here to the wicked man. The unrighteous man is the one whom the Lord will destroy forever. He will be taken away. He will be plucked out and rooted out of the land of the living and this reminds us, as we have seen on previous occasions, God is in control. 
And that is something we must fully understand. The Bible sets out God's perfect way, and in that perfect way is the destruction of the wicked because they are not rooted in the Lord. And this is the great distinction here. The unrighteous, the sinful man is rooted in sin and wickedness and ungodliness, rooted in self, rooted in Satan, but the righteous are rooted in Christ alone. An unbeliever, we see much of who you are, and we see much of your sorrowful eternal destiny here in this psalm. The Lord God of heaven is not writing these words as a writer pens a horror novel or a movie to entertain us or to give us a thrill by letting us face or see in words or in pictures the horrors that He describes. But God is writing here as the sovereign God of heaven, as the Creator, and He's writing these words as one who knows what will happen to those who are unrepentant, because He has ordained these things. The sinful man, the man who loves evil more than good, the man who has that deceitful tongue, the man who is not rooted in Christ, will be destroyed. He'll be taken away. He'll be rooted out. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke about the wheat and the tares and how the wheat was gathered and placed into His barn, and how those tares were rooted out. They were not placed in the barn. They were cast into the fire and burnt. Scripture reminds us constantly of what will happen to those who know not Christ. And when we think of the wrath of God upon sinners, is God's wrath upon you because you are in your sin, because at the very root of your life is not Christ, is not the Lord, is not His Word, but rather what we see here in verse 7, the abundance of riches, your own wickedness. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength. Is God your strength this morning? Where does your soul have its root? Is it rooted in Christ, rooted in the Savior, rooted in His sacrifice? Or is it rooted in other things? I want you to turn with me to Luke's gospel, chapter 18. Luke's gospel, chapter 18. And the verse 18, here we find a certain ruler coming to the Savior, and he says, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? An important and necessary question. Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? Not as good, save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. And then the Savior, verse 22, says, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute it unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. In other words, leave all the wealth of this world, everything in life that might be important to you, leave it for Christ. Verse 23, and when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. This man was not prepared 
to set aside his riches for Christ. Yes, there are men who love the Lord who are rich, but in the context here, the Savior is saying that the treasure in heaven is worth more than all the treasures of this world. Was this man willing to set aside the treasure of this world for the treasure of Christ? And the answer is no, he was sorrowful. He was sorrowful. And this relates to the unrighteous soul, the one who has everything in this world, the abundance of this world, and it's more important to him than Christ. I want you to turn to Luke's gospel, chapter 12. Luke 12, and we see a similar situation in view. The verse 13, we have the certain rich man. We won't read all of this account, but Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. This rich man, his ground brought forth plentifully, and he desired to build down his barns and build greater. No thought of God. No thought of thanking God for the abundance. No thought of giving God something of what God had given to him. And he said, Soul, thou hast much goods, led up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That was his focus. He had all these riches, all this provision, and now he was going to enjoy himself. Spiritual matters were far from his mind. He was rooted in the treasure of this world and in the pleasures of this world. And there we see in verse 21, the Savior says, or verse 20, the Lord says, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Again, God is in control. This man said, I'm going to do this. I have much goods led up for many years. That is what he said. Many years. I will take my knees. I will eat, drink, and be merry. And the God who is in control said, Thou fool, tonight it's over. Tonight it's over. The end has come. A man basing his life, founding his life, putting down his roots into his riches and what the world can give him. But God comes, as it were, with that axe to chop it all away. Thou fool. Thou fool. And the question goes out again, where are you rooted? Where are you rooted? Where are your roots? If we were to dig you up and to examine your roots spiritually, where would those roots be found? The Lord can see where those roots are. Are they found in Him and in His Word? <coughs> or are these roots connecting you to this world, to Satan and to sin? And this is the contrast that in Psalm 52 is given here. David declares that though he be hunted, though he be persecuted, he is like a green olive tree. He is not plucked up. He is not destroyed. He is a flourishing olive tree. And dear believer, if you desire spiritually to be a green olive tree, you must be rooted in Christ. You must know the Lord. The contrast here with the wicked man 
It's the complete opposite to what the believer ought to be. How easy it is to go with the flow, to follow the crowd, to follow after sin, and to live in sin because the rest of this world does that. And therefore, in order to not stand out, in order to not be noticed, in order to, thinking of those at school and those who are teenagers facing the mockery of their friends in school and in society, they go with the flow. They camouflage themselves in the colors of this world because they crave acceptability in society. They don't desire to stand out for Christ because in standing out for Christ in this world and in school today, that's weird. That's different. That's strange. The same is even true in the workplace. We want to quietly get about our work. We do not want questions about faith, about religion, about Christ, because we're worried about the reaction. How easy it is to go with the flow. Are you desiring, dear believer, wherever God has placed you to be a green olive tree, deeply rooted in Christ and His Word? Or is that only reserved for family and for church because they're the only people who know where your faith truly lies? The green olive tree is something that is noticeable. It can't be hid. The green olive tree of the believer is not one who should be hidden away, but one who is displaying by God's grace who they are in Christ. And the great contrast we see here between the unrighteous and the righteous is something we must see in the life of every believer. This is the way it ought to be, the same way the olive tree should be fruitful. We think of the fig tree. The fig tree should be a fruitful tree. But the Savior, whenever He told that parable about the fig tree, it wasn't bearing fruit. Its purpose was to bear fruit. Its purpose was to flourish. And it wasn't. And in order for us to flourish, in order for us to be fruitful, we must be deeply rooted within the Savior. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 in the verse 17. Ephesians chapter 3 in the verse 17. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and his desire was for them to be rooted in their faith and specifically in love. Love is that key characteristic of the Christian faith. And he prays in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend all with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. When we think of being rooted, the believer is rooted in love. The love of Christ for them and their love for Christ. I was looking through some of the sermons I preached here in Calgary over the years. And I wonder if anyone can remember the very first sermon I preached here. 
I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not offering any prizes. Uh, but I want you to turn to uh, John's Gospel, chapter 21. John's Gospel, chapter 21. I'm going by the dates on Sermon Audio. This was the first sermon I preached here. I came over from Northern Ireland to fill the pulpit here for a month. I wasn't quite too sure what to expect and driving around the roads. I'm not even sure at that stage I'd driven uh, here in Calgary. I was trying to, I think I drove later on that day. I remember our brother uh, Isaiah sat beside me and I drove the car and he was giving me all the, well, if he wasn't beside me, I probably wouldn't be here today because I saw a green light and I thought the green light was for go, but the green light was to yield to the oncoming traffic and to go whenever that traffic wasn't there anymore. And our brother reminded me of that. Otherwise, well, where I come from, green means go and red means stop. And so a green yield to me is a drive and go and move. And so I remember that day very, very well indeed. But we preach in John chapter 21. And Peter is in view. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to him and challenging him. Peter had denied his Savior. Peter had sinned by denying Christ not once, but three times. And the Savior here comes alongside Peter and three times asks him this question, lovest thou me? Reminding Peter of the three times that he denied the Savior. Verse 16, it's the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And the Savior asks him that searching question, Lovest thou me? Dear believer, when we think of being grounded in love, rooted in love, Christ loved us. Christ gave himself for us. Christ has saved us. We have been loved by Him, but what of our love for the Savior? The Savior asks that question to you or I. Do you love me? What is our answer? An answer to the very Savior who knows our hearts and knows the answer. And knows if we truly love Him. Do we love Christ? Do you love Christ? In order to be rooted. In order to be that fruitful that blessed olive tree, you must be rooted in love for Christ. Love for Christ. Oh, if you rejected the ways of this world for the Savior, if you rejected the ideas of this world, the philosophies of this world for Christ, to be rooted in Him. And this Rooting is seen in Psalm 52, verse 8, in that phrase at the end of the verse, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. You see, the psalmist who is like a green olive tree, he's not a green olive tree rooted in Christ, rooted in the Lord because of himself. It's because of the mercy of God. It's God's mercy toward him. And the psalmist throughout the book of Psalms says much about the mercy of God. In Psalm 86, verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. He says as well in that very same psalm, For great is thy mercy toward me. 
book of Jude reminds us to keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There's much to be said about God's mercy. What a marvelous thing it is. Without the mercy of God, we would not be here. Without the mercy of God, David could not say, I am like a green olive tree. It's God's mercy because of who we are, sinners and rebels in His sight. The rooted olive tree of the psalmist trusted in the mercy of God forever and ever. God's mercies are sure. That's what he's reminding us of here. This mercy is not just a little glimpse of God's mercy or a little portion of God's mercy that will one day run out. (coughs) But rather, the Lord's mercy is something that we can depend upon. And how true that is, dear believer, you who've been saved by the grace of God, you who have been privileged to enjoy the mercy of Christ and the salvation of the Lord, rejoicing in Him, rejoicing in what He has done for you in your life. And as the years pass by and the decades move on, the end of your life comes. You stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, standing before the Savior. And He says, well, my mercy for you ran out those years ago. There was not enough of it. You enjoyed it for a while, and then it ran out. That's not what God's mercy is. It's forever and ever. It's sure and dependent upon. And dear believer, you who are rooted in Christ, No man shall ever pluck you out of the hand of the Father. That mercy, that love, that grace of God toward you as His child is forever and ever. And we can then have the assurance, can we not, that in life that we are Christ's child, that we are Christ's olive tree. And when we leave this scene of time and we go into eternity, that mercy continues as we stand and as we rejoice in the presence of our Savior, because it's by His mercy and His grace and His love that we are there. It never runs out. It is forever and ever. And does that not thrill your heart when you think of what Christ has done to us who are sinful wretches in His sight? He's redeemed us. He's planted us. He's been merciful toward us. Oh, how marvelous a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Are you rooted in the mercy of God? The mercy of God in your salvation? Are you rooted in love for Christ? Are you rooted and grounded in these things? As we think of today being Father's Day, This is what this world needs. This is what the church of Christ needs. This is what your family needs. Men, fathers who are like green olive trees. Green olive trees. That does not mean you're to go and to build a costume looking like a green olive tree. It's a spiritual metaphor, as we said. But is it not what our families need? 
This is not what the church of Christ needs. Fathers, men who are trusting in the mercy of God forever, who are green olive trees in the house of the Lord because they're rooted and grounded in Christ. Rooted and grounded in Christ. There are many churches. I could go back to Northern Ireland. I could give you the grand tour of the old places of apostasy where men no longer preach the gospel, where if you stood up in the pulpit and preached sin and salvation and the wrath of God and salvation through Christ alone, you're going to get into trouble because they've turned aside from these things. They've no time for this. How sad it is. Yet we need men, we need fathers, fathers in families, fathers in the church who are rooted truly in Christ and know His salvation. Let me encourage you today to be rooted and grounded in Christ. It applies to the, the mothers as well and to the, to the ladies. It applies to the men, those who are fathers, those who are not, those who may be fathers in the days to come. Or merely men in society, men in the church of Christ, were to be rooted and grounded. How can we even think of trying to lead the next generation in the ways of God, to stand for Him, to not be like that generation in Judges that know not the Lord if we're not prepared to be rooted and grounded wholly and truly in Christ ourselves, to be a green olive tree, to be that tree that is abundant and fruitful and flourishing for the Lord. I want you to see secondly here the growing olive tree. We've seen the rooted olive tree. We see the growing olive tree. When I think of this green olive tree, it's a tree that symbolizes growth. When I think of that growth, we think of that term sanctification. The Shorter Catechism says that sanctification is that work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Justification being that act that saves us, we're redeemed. And now sanctification is that work, that ongoing work in all of our lives that brings us closer to the Lord, that enables us to conquer sin within our lives, you can be saved and redeemed, but yet there are sins to conquer within your life, and it's sanctification that is that work that deals with it. The larger catechism says that sanctification is a work of God's free grace, whereby they whom God hath before the foundation of the world, chosen to be holy, are in time, through the powerful operation of His Spirit, going further than the shorter catechism, through the powerful operation of His Spirit, applying, firstly, the death and resurrection of Christ unto them, secondly, being renewed in the whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life, and all other saving graces put into their hearts, and those graces are so stirred up, increased and strengthened, as that they more and more die unto sin and rise unto newness of life. So, when we consider the simple explanation, the more fuller explanation where we have this, then, this definition, this image of the Spirit of God coming alongside 
and in the heart of the new believer, working within his heart, enabling him to die unto sin, to rise unto this newness of life, stirring up these graces within him so that he forsakes sin and he lives unto Christ. And sanctification is that work by which sin in our lives is defeated. As Paul said, mortifying that sin, putting to death that sin. The new believer, the one who knows and loves the Lord, should be different than those who are in the world. Why is that? Because they've been saved and they are being sanctified. They are being sanctified. And it is that term that marks the growth of the Lord's people. And here in Psalm 52 verse 8, we have this green olive tree, something here that is growing and flourishing. I want you to turn to uh, the first psalm again, the psalm that we read at the start of the service. We have the blessed man in view, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Here is the picture of a blessed man being sanctified. His delight is not in this world, it's in the Word of God. He's planted by the rivers of water, not the rivers of death. His fruit will come forth in His season. He'll prosper because of the sanctifying work of the Lord within Him. And sanctification is defined by the Westminster Divines, involves our dying unto sin. And dear believer, this is what we have in Psalm 52. The olive tree of the psalmist is growing because he has died unto sin by the grace of God. He's not living in the sin that Doe committed. He's not walking in that way. He's not facing the destruction this sinful man will face. But in contrast to that, his duty by God's grace is to kill sin within his life. And the believer, as we see in Isaiah 2, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. 1 John 1 verse 7 tells us, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. And so therefore, there is this cleansing, there is this sanctifying, there is this walking in the light. This walking in the light. And how different it is walking in the light compared to walking in darkness. How many times have we bumped into something walking in darkness, finding our way maybe to the kitchen or to the washroom late at night? It's dark. We don't put the lights on and we're feeling our way around and we, we hit something. I think I've told you before of running across to our prayer meeting in Northern Ireland and we lived right beside the church. It was literally a 30-second sprint and I was running a little late. I went out the back door and I sprinted down the drive, across the road, into the church. No problem doing that in those days. But the issue was the farmer had closed the gate to let his cows go past. You don't have that problem in the city. 
Uh, we, we lived between the farm and a field that he used. He closed the gate. He didn't open the gate. And I ended up on the flat of my back sprinting into this gate. It was, I saw it too late to be able to stop. It was dark. It was dark. Darkness, walking in darkness, running in darkness. There's obstacles that we cannot see. There's problems. It is a dangerous path dangerous path. But walking in the light is very different. And dear believer, we are to walk in the light because we are sanctified by the Lord. There is to be growth in 1 Corinthians 3. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 3. We'll see this verse. 1 Corinthians 3, it says there in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Paul is coming to the church at Corinth. He's criticizing them. He's saying that they are carnal. They're not spiritual. There's been divisions among them. And he says, verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. If you came to my house for dinner and I sat down this big steak, this great roast beef dinner, and I was going to enjoy it, and I sat before you, milk in a baby's bottle, and I had my steak, you'd be offended. You'd want the steak too. You wouldn't want to be treated like a baby, but this is what Paul is doing here. I have fed you with milk and not with meat because you can't handle it, because in your heart there's carnality, there's worldliness, there's problems here that need to be sorted out before we move from the milk to the meat. There is to be growth. And we see that. Hebrews 5 verse 12, the apostle says again uh, that uh, these individuals he's writing to need to know again the first principles of the articles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He says again in Hebrews 5.13, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the, word of, in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. The apostle here is not criticizing the partaking of milk, the milk of the word by those who need it, but he is criticizing those who should have progressed to the meat of the word, but they're still on milk. There's no growth. There's no growth. Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. And so we think of this image in Scripture of growth. There's milk, and you take that milk while you're growing. At some stage, you'll move to the meat. And the clear indication is the believer is to grow, and he grows by sanctification. He grows by sanctification. And when we think, dear believer, of this milk and this meat, it is something that we need. And there is to be a desire within us for the deeper things of God, to know more of the Lord. What really is theology all about? I remember going into our college, our first theology class, thinking of all these deep things we would be learning and how hard it was going to be. And the lecturer, the Reverend James Beggs, pointed us to the real purpose of the class, not merely to pass, not merely to get licensed as a pastor and be able to be trained as a pastor, but that these 
theological truths affect our walk with God and bring us closer to Him. There's the milk of the Word and the meat of the Word, and the purpose is that as you progress through them, as the Lord sanctifies you and teaches you these truths, you'll be drawn closer to Him, that it will not be just dry doctrine, but something that brings you closer to the Lord and helps your walk with Him and enables you to understand Him. And receiving the meat of the Word is that deep dive into the truths of God, revealing more and more of His truth, revealing more of these deep doctrines and being blessed by them, having our souls fed by these things. If we desire growth, if we desire to be a green olive tree, we need to desire to know more about Jesus. More about Jesus would I know. Dear believers, that your desire to grow, to be sanctified, to flee sin, to know more about the Lord. And then I want you to notice as we move on quickly, our time is gone, but I want you to notice, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God, the house of God. Why does the psalmist add the house of God? And there are those that have their different views, their different ideas about service in the house of the Lord, about the attendance at the house of the Lord. But let's take it to be our relationship to the house of the Lord. We are to be a green olive tree in the house of the Lord. And as we grow, and as we flourish, and as we are sanctified, there is to be this connection and a relationship to the house of God as we worship the Lord together, as we fellowship together, as we hear His Word together. And dear believer, then our growth is connected, not merely privately in our own lives, in our own relationship with the Lord, but as we come to worship Him. Being found in a church that teaches His Word, that preaches Christ, that holds these truths, a church and a ministry that has that desire to feed your hearts and your souls that you would be like this green olive tree. Hearing the Word, being under the Word is where we ought to be if we are to grow. We are to be sanctified. We are to be a green olive tree. Oh, how many can preach the importance of being found at the house of God, being found under the preaching of the Word, but yet in practice that's not the case. God's Word must come first. Being under His Word must come first. Distractions must be set aside. Must be set aside. Do we have that desire for the house of the Lord? To be fruitful in the house of the Lord? To be sanctified as we come and hear the preaching of His Word as we fellowship with the Lord? Where else could we be on the Lord's day? Where else should we be but in His house? If you desire to be a green olive tree, be found in the house of God, be found under the preaching of His Word. And then thirdly and finally, and very quickly because our time is gone, we have the fruitful olive tree. The fruitful olive tree. The green olive tree, not only does it grow, but it brings forth fruit. Paul said to the church at Philippi, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. I think I preached on that text here, so 
Instead of being long on this point, well, that sermon, I, it may be available in sermon audio uh, to go and to listen to instead. Dear believer, as we close, we are to be fruitful. The green olive tree brings forth fruit, and David, in comparison to the world, was to be a fruitful believer through the mercy of God, through the house of God and the Word of God. He was to bring forth fruit within his life, fruit for the glory of God. What fruit is found in your life? When we think of Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, there's love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Are these fruits found in your life to varying degrees? Are you desiring after such fruit? Love can be shown in bringing others to Christ, in correcting others. Joy can be shown in uh, the great joy and rejoicing we have as we sing God's praises, as we pray to Him, as we speak to others about what Christ has done for us. When we think of this fruit, it bears witness that we are of Christ, does it not? That we are of Him that He is our Savior, that He is our Redeemer. And this is the distinction David is making here. I am like a green olive tree, but I am like a green olive tree. In verse 9, I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. He's not boasting in himself here. He's rejoicing in God's mercy and he is a green olive tree because God has done it. He's a fruitful olive tree because God has done it. Dear believer, if you desire to be fruitful, seek God because God, by His Spirit, will bring forth that fruit within your life. Desire it. Don't be like the fig, the, the fig tree that was bearing no fruit. Why cumbereth it the ground? Why is it there? It's a waste of space. Something else could be there. Why cumbereth it the ground? We are to grow. And the purpose of that growing is to be fruitful for Christ. Dear believer, look to Him. Praise Him. Praise Him that you're a green olive tree and desire to be fruitful for the Savior. Tell others. Be that witness. Speak forth the name of Christ. And may He bless you for it, for His name's sake. Amen. And let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word this morning. We pray Thou would bless it to us. We thank Father of <coughs> this great example we have here of this olive tree. We pray that we would be rooted. We pray that we would grow. We pray, O oh God, we would be fruitful for Thee. There would be that testimony for Thee within our lives. Father, may we be fruitful to the honor and glory of Thy name. We ask that Thou would part us with Thy blessing. May the grace of our Lord, may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with us, both now and forevermore. Amen.